What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Faisal Mahmood, who is the co-founder of Phase Shift Technologies. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's been going great. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Just just doing podcasting, living the dream. I love learning <laughs> about different different things that founders are working on. And, and for you, for people that don't know what Phase Shift is, kind of what are you working on? Yeah, for sure. So FaceShift is a materials development company. So we develop advanced materials for high performance applications for evolving industries like additive manufacturing through through incorporating computational chemistry and artificial intelligence into the R&D process itself. So that fast tracks the development timeline from um, over a year to two years to something like a few months. So that's sort of our value proposition where we fast track that R&D process. So what's an example of like a, a company that would use this? Like, is it factories or could it be people trying to build obviously physical products, but can you kind of give me a, pers- a persona of who would use this? Yeah, for sure. So for example, let's say there's a client that has a certain application in mind, uh, could be a, a high performance application within the aerospace sector, could be biomedical industry. It's a vast range of applications that we can go after. Uh, they would have some set of requirements that are currently not being met by the set of materials that are commercially available. So they would provide to us a, a list of requirements. The requirements would be material properties, could be the cost of the material, a range of things. Uh, based on those list of requirements, we would go out and find the right material, which is essentially the recipe of uh, an alloy, what materials to mix in what proportion uh, to come up with an end material that has those list of properties. So this customer could either be an end user of that material. For example, let's say a jet engine company that wants to you know, replace a certain material with a more high performing material, or it could be a manufacturer who want to optimize the material for their manufacturing process. So those are two kinds of customers that we're dealing with. So how'd you get, like, how'd, you, how'd you come up with the idea and how'd you get into, this type of business. And I guess like, what's the origin story? It's pretty technical. So like, how'd you kind of find yourself working on this company? Yeah, for sure. So um, just for the background itself, I, uh, I graduated with a degree in physics from University of Toronto. So I naturally had an incl- inclination towards um, deep science based startups. So uh, I was always very interested in the, the materials aspect of uh, deep science businesses, chemistry behind these materials. And also recently, because of how much uh, 
you know, growth artificial intelligence industry has seen, I was also very interested in how we can incorporate AI into our traditional materials development process to do something. But initially the vision wasn't as clear. So I met my two co-founders around the time where I was still ideating. Um, and they are experts in material sciences. Both of them are currently finishing up their PhDs at University of Toronto in computational materials engineering. Um, and they have the right set of expertise within the materials, material science domain. So when, when I connected with them, we, uh, you know, brainstormed a few ideas and we initially, we just sort of narrowed down to the space where, you know, a lot of people are applying computational chemistry to, you know, drug discovery or uh, polymer space or organic chemistry but not many companies are focused on alloys, uh, the metallic compounds. So we, we decided to go after that through our own unique approach, um, you know, where we can incorporate AI and in both computational chemistry to improve that process. So that's how sort of we, we came to this idea and the business model itself, that was something that, you know, we evolved over time and uh, through consultation with people from within the industry or, you know, from outside the industry, it's a mix of, different things that sort of has evolved over time so essentially the idea came from the intersection of backgrounds that we have uh mine being physics um and my co-founders being machine learning and uh, materials engineering so that's how we we came about it i appreciate you sharing all that it, it, i love mm -hmm. to hear just how things kind of start coming together so like what does an average day for you look like are you spending time building, selling customers, you know, raising money, maybe like what, what's the, What's a day in the life of, of a co-founder of this company? Yeah, for sure. So until recently we were fundraising, we were in full fundraising mode and we just closed our first pre-seed round. So we're not so much in fundraising mode anymore, but what traditionally our day looks like is very different for different founders. So, you know, all three of us are focused on three different aspects of the business. I'm mostly the business person. So I am more focused on, you know, um, strategizing the development of the company, reaching out to customers, forming relationship with other organizations, which could be universities or, you know, uh, reaching out to other third party organizations for, for my co-founders, they're more tech focused. So uh, one of the co-founders, our CTO is more focused on the machine learning models and he's sort of responsible for, you know, generating data that is, that is required for our process and, you know, make developing essentially the strategy for incorporating AI and the third co-founder itself is more, you know, focused on material property simulations. He's more the science guy in our, in our team. So he knows a lot about the material science behind these materials. So uh, all three of us focus on all three different things. Mine is more business oriented and the co-founders are more tech oriented. When you, when you started fundraising, did you need to like dumb this down for investors or do you fundraise from investors that already understand all of this? Like, I'd love to, I, like, I've never, I feel like you're one of the more technical products that come on the podcast. So I've never get to ask this, like, how do you fundraise for something that's kind of deep tech? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question, actually, because I faced that problem when I initially started fundraising. So uh, just for context, this was the first time I have started a company and this was also the first time I was fundraising. So there was a lot of lessons that I took from this process itself. Initially, um, and given that all three of us had a tech background, especially I had a background in physics, um, I did not have an idea on how to actually, you know, present my problem in a way that gets the investor excited, or at least just understand what we're trying to do. And initially, when we were dealing with investors, um, there were a lot of questions. There were a lot of, you know, um, the way the conversation was developing with investors, it wasn't ideal. And, you know, they were always very confused. But the good part about 
the good thing that happened with us initially was that Faceshift was a part of an incubator called Creative Destruction Lab at University of Toronto. And Creative Destruction Lab is a very deep science tech focused um, incubator. So they sort of coached us in a way that we could present our problem that is more investor friendly. You almost always have to assume that the person that we're talking to doesn't know anything about what we're talking about. So we have to talk in terms that are, you know, fairly understandable for someone who doesn't have a science or technology background. And during during CDL, during Creative Destruction Lab, we were working with so many mentors that were not scientists um, that <clears throat> ended up being investors in our company later on. Uh, and they helped us refine our pitch, um, you know, helped us refine our story, made us focus more towards, you know, the process itself, the technology that we are building and less towards the materials, that often is easier for people to understand. So it was it was a trouble in the beginning. Um, obviously there was lack of experience from our side as well, but as, as we talked with more investors, you know, people from backgrounds in software, people from backgrounds in hardware, all sorts of different investors, uh, we kind of picked up a, I guess, natural skill of adapting our pitch to the investor that we were talking to. Um, and you know, it just got much better later on. And in terms of the investor itself, we, we talked to a range of investors, but a lot of the investors that, it, uh, ended up investing in our company were investors that have invested in deep tech before. So they had a fair good understanding of, you know, the science and the technology behind it. But in some cases, the invest, some of the investors, uh, did not, were not from the deep science background. So in, in that case, we had to like, you know, uh, simplify our pitch a lot more um, and, you know, essentially make sure that they, if they have any questions, we can address them in a constructing way, constructive way without, you know, confusing them even more. So you say, so you're doing a lot for the first time. What have been some things that you've learned? It could be about fundraising or just about company building, but like, I'm sure, you know, you're learning a lot every day, but are you open mm -hmm. to like sharing one or two things that you've learning as you're kind of forced to learn on the job? Yeah, hundred percent. So um, before I started Face Shift, I had worked uh, sort of part-time with two other startups that were pretty early stage in their development. So there were a lot of mistakes that they had made and I wouldn't necessarily share those mistakes right now, but there were certain mistakes that they had made in their development uh, that were sort of good lessons for me for when I go out and start a company. So there were a lot of things like that, for example, you know, building a team that has, um, you know, deep domain expertise, um, also having a dedicated business person. Um, not everyone can do everything. So there were a lot of things that I initially had learned before I started the company. But when I started the company, there was obviously like, you know, 10 times more things that I had never done before that I had to involve, including fundraising. So as I said, fundraising, there was a lot of things to do with pitching. There were a lot of things to do with, you know, building the pitch deck itself, valuation of the company, reaching out to investors, all of that stuff. But apart from fundraising, um, you know, how to manage a project. I think project management is a very um, crucial aspect of building a business. Um, there comes a time when, you know, your startup is just sort of a side project before that. But after that point, when you are done fundraising, it becomes a legitimate company. So you have to be able to, you know, um, manage uh, the projects that you're working on in a way that's more structured. So just being able to, you know, provide some structure to the company, to the people who are working with me, thinking about hiring the right people, how can we, uh, you know, improve the value of the company. So one of the, one of the investors um, who didn't invest in the company that we were talking to uh, initially, he said that the job of a CEO is to add value to the company. 
So that could mean creation of value. That could mean increasing the value. So that always kind of stuck with me that like, you know, whatever I do, it has to be in uh, towards a direction where we are, you know, improving the value of the company. So that uh, applies to, you know, fundraising that applies to hiring and expanding that applies to how, what kind of vision you have for the company for the next few years to a long-term vision, all of those things. So a lot of, you know, assorted things that sort of came up as we were going and that I had to learn, but I'm I'm very grateful to the people who were around me, especially the mentors and the investors that uh, we were talking to in, you know, helping us figure out all of that. They, they were very sympathetic with the fact that we were uh, first time founders, uh, you know, on the lesser experience side, but a lot of mentorship that they provided was very valuable. Sometimes that's just, that's just what you need. Like people that can kind of show you the ropes because you can't show them you can't just show yourself the ropes and if you show yourself the ropes it'll take you know way longer to figure it out so yeah i definitely appreciate you sharing all of that so let's go let's look out um like out into the future you know i know you're like nitty-gritty you know kind of eyes on the ground you got you just finished a fundraise you're back to work etc um but like if you go up a hundred feet or a thousand feet you know whatever what what does this look like in a decade and i guess in other words what uh what's your vision and like in what direction are you rowing in yeah for sure um uh you're right you know like the sh- because we're just getting started we're are we're more focused on the short-term vision than we would be on the long-term vision but you know that doesn't stop us from dreaming so we we do we do think that you know phase shift we want to turn that into uh, an all-encompassing materials development company um we we want to have portfolio of novel materials that have their applications in you know various different industries we just don't want to go our uh, after like you know a single vertical we don't just want to develop for aerospace or medical we want to go after a range of applications that have their homes in a range of different industries so that's what we see within 10 years that we want to have a portfolio of materials that can help us accomplish that and not just that but right now we are purely computational in nature that a lot of work that we do is purely computational and we rely on external organizations for um, you know experimental evaluation of our materials but we want to streamline that process as well by bringing in a lot of you know experimental work in-house and you know have just a very streamlined process of discovering the material quickly testing it and you know uh, feeding the results back into a computational model that would eventually like, you know, improve as we, as we, you know, uh, do more cycles of this R and D work. So that's, that's what we see at least in the next five to 10 years. Um, and this is quite ambitious because, uh, often people suggest that we, you know, restrict ourselves or focus on, you know, a single industry, try to get the foot out of the door, but, um, because of how generalizable our models are and our approach is, it allows us to go after many different industries. So that's what we intend to do within the next decade, at least. Um, and manufacturing itself, a lot of times people ask us that whether if we want to step into manufacturing and I, we don't think that we will necessarily step into manufacturing the materials themselves. Uh, I think they have their own set of challenges that, you know, that are best left to the manufacturers for figuring it out. Um, so uh, our, our focus is purely going to be on the materials discovery aspect and the R&D aspect of materials. That, that, I, I, 
kind of want to di- I don't want to dive into that a little bit because you you're getting mm-hmm. advice to do one thing and like from some people and you're doing the opposite and this is what like founders have to you're not doing the opposite but you're just doing what you want to do as a founder and this is mm-hmm. a really important lesson for, for for especially newer founders to understand like you get advice then you can choose to take it or not or take pieces of it can you kind of tell me like how as you've gone through fundraising as you're getting advice, how do you decide which advice to take and what not to take? And do you, is there any kind of when you go against the grain? Um, I don't know, just can you just walk me through your mindset there? Yeah, for sure. So any, any sort of advice that we get from people or that could be investors or scientists, we always take it as good advice. We never disregard any advice because there's always a grain of truth in what people are saying. And we consider everyone else that we talk to more experienced than we are. So there's obviously a lot of a lot of truth in what they say. So in, in the case where let's say they, they suggest that we focus ourselves on, you know, one particular vertical, there's also other people that are suggesting that we don't. Um, we have to just sort of find the balance between, you know, focusing too much and spreading ourselves too thin. So um, our approach in that for that particular advice is that you know a lot of times people work directly with end users for developing a materials for a particular application in our case we are not working directly with an end user we are working directly with manufacturers so manufacturers understand the needs of a wide variety of customers so they deal with customers from all diff- so many different industries they they understand what kind of material there is a demand for from various different industries and they convey that demand to us um, in that case we that allows us to you know go after various different industries only through one partnership so that's that's sort of something that is different with us which is not the case with a lot of different um, companies so um, I think we just have to, in, in any case, for every advice, we sort of have to like consider what sort of relationships or tools we have and whether if restricting ourselves will, uh, you know, do any good or will it, you know, help us, you know, make us miss opportunities. So in that that's true in that case, at least. But um, yeah, as I said, we kind of have to just find balance between, you know, what people are saying we we have an open mind towards every advice that is given to us and we take that with a lot of respect as well so yeah um i think i think from our mindset at least there's no bad advice and we pretty much work on every single advice that is provided to us and some just doesn't apply in our case and that doesn't we disregard it and the one that does we we see how we can incorporate in our in our evolution at least I love how you say there's no bad advice because I mean, there's not, there's just perspective from people's experience. Right. And then you got to figure out what, what, what you want to take. So mm-hmm. and how, how would you say, so to make, to make everything you want to do happen, to make the vision happen, you'll need some help, right? Like you need some more investors. Maybe you might need customers, employees, but you also need help from the forward thinking founders community. So for my last question for you is how can the forward thinking founders community help you make the vision happen, help make your life a little easier. And is there an ask you have for anyone listening? Yeah, for sure. Um, There's not many concrete asks that I have. I think just for the company itself at the moment, we are always looking for, you know, new projects, new engagements. And in my experience, the way we have um, reached any meaningful leads uh, that could be customers or investors were through introductions that were not initially in, in, in that particular uh, direction. So um, if there's 
anyone within the community that would like to get in touch with us or would like to make any introductions. Um, we're always open, open talking to people uh, who want to learn more about our company or just want to talk about our experience. Um, apart from that, I think um, coming from a deep space, deep science space, uh, a deep tech space, um, I don't think this space is as big as you know traditional technology startups or SaaS startups. So some of the things that I've experienced in, in my um, journey so far is not uh, people often judge a deep tech startups with the same eyes that they have for traditional technology startups or SaaS startups. I think um, sometimes we have to uh, consider deep tech startups very differently than any other technology startups. I think it's a completely new breed of startups that's sort of just starting to begin. So it's, it's just something that involves a lot of learning. And as I said, if there's anyone who would like to learn more about the startup itself, you're always happy to and uh, always willing to engage more people. So that's, that's the only ask that we have. All right. And then for my final question is if anyone wants to get in touch, you know, find your website, are you on social media? Can they email you? How, how can people get in touch? Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a contact form on the website. If let's say they can't find me or my LinkedIn or anywhere else, they can always reach us through the website. But anyone who wants to directly get in touch with me, they can just email me at fuzzle, F-A-Z-A-L, at thefaceshift.com. So that's my email. Uh, they can just reach me through that or my LinkedIn as well. Um, my name, Fuzzle, uh, and last name, Mahmood. They can just search me up and they'll probably find me. Or they can also follow our LinkedIn page, the Faceshift um, company page, for any sort of update. So all of those channels are perfectly fine for, for getting in touch with me. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast and best of luck making it happen. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure talking.